Welcome to the Vinyl Preacher. This is America's. This is the internet's only lectionary-based podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Zach Pierce. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder in America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, Naropa University. Uh, today with me on the podcast is not our dear friend uh, Matt Cadel, because uh, he normally does this part. Uh, instead, we subbed Matt out uh, because Matt was offering uh, suboptimal content, and instead we have upgraded with an award-winning campus ministry professional. Uh, today on the podcast, we have... The Reverend Casey Dunsworth, pastor of The Belfry, your Lutheran Episcopal Campus Ministry to UC Davis, and of Levin, the Lutheran Episcopal Volunteer Network, a program of Episcopal Service Corps in Davis, California. I like that. We're heavy on articles there. The Reverend, The Belfry. I like it. That makes it... Grammatically correct. Prestigious uh, Mm -hmm. and grammatically correct. Uh, We're so glad to have you on the podcast today, Casey. Uh, Mostly because it was really fun to hang out together last week. And last week, I believe, was when you uh, made the great journey through the waters uh, where previously you were doing, I don't know, just normal campus ministry, uh, you know, that any jerk off the street could do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you. Mm -hmm. Like me. Well... Uh, <laughs> uh, I made this journey myself. Um, uh, but yeah, any jerk like me uh, could do. But but you pass through the waters, uh, and now you do award-winning campus ministry. You are the 2019 Phil Knudsen Campus Ministry Award winner. Your life is complete. Basically. Uh, so that's exciting. The Knudsen Award uh, is given to folks uh, who do particular work or that, uh, that, is risk, that involves risk-taking and creativity, that's I right. believe. Uh, how, why did anybody give this to you? <laughs> that's an excellent question that I have also been asking. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I think that, um, well, given the words of the nomination that was written uh, for me, um, what we do at the Belfry that is different than what happens around us, it may not be different than what's happening at Lutheran campus ministries around the country, but it's different than what's happening in the other Christian communities here in Davis, um, is that we are widely open and affirming of our LGBTQIA plus students. Um, and there are um, a ton of campus ministries here at UC Davis that aren't. Uh, so we um, wave our pride flags proudly uh on our building um and we just all the, do you have an intern who does that who who's waving at them right now <laughs> uh well they are on flag poles um on the balcony outside my office waving in Con- the wind in the california sunshine okay you get consistent enough wind to do it 24 7 though uh, yes. Okay, because I need to take notes. I've not won this award, so I'd like to... Oh, yeah, yeah. It helps, yeah, if you have enough wind for the flags. Yes, okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so we have our uh, our rainbow flag, and we also have our specifically trans pride flag, uh, because, in particular, we know that our transgender siblings are among the ones left off of the LGBT welcome. Uh, there's often a lot of LGB welcome here and there, um, but being particularly welcoming to our trans siblings who uh, are beloved and created in the image of God, just as we all are, um, is a particular witness that we make here at the Belfry. What does uh, life look like at the Belfry? What does campus ministry look like in Davis? Sure. Um, So Davis is a university of about 30,000 undergraduates. 
um, and in a town of about 70,000 people. So it has like a small university town vibe, uh, but then it's a huge campus community and it's really busy and our students are taking a million credits uh, every quarter and um, are involved in all sorts of organizations besides ours. And so they are just busy, busy and busy. Um, but we provide space for them to take a step back from all of that and to be somewhere where what they produce is not the point of what they do. Uh, just their presence is what they bring to this community. And so we gather every Wednesday night for worship and for dinner. And um, that dinner is donated by one of our local parish partners. So it's a home cooked meal. Uh, it never costs students anything. Um, they just come and eat. And throughout the quarter, we'll do events. Um, we did a Harry Potter movie series this school year where we watched all eight Harry Potter films um, on a monthly basis and, uh, and talked you about them. You watched all eight Harry Potter films every month? We watched one a month. Oh, one a month. Okay. You, yes. You didn't have that like... Was, yes. That was because that would be intense. That would, that would be again, so I'm much. taking notes. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have some Harry Potter fans in our community, including myself. Uh, and so we have done a faith and film series for the last several years. And so our students at the end of last year thought it would be fun to do Harry Potter this year. And it was fun to review uh, those beloved stories and think about how they speak to our Christian values and worldview and how they don't. Do you do you listen to that other podcast that talks about Harry Potter and uh, sacred I, things? Yeah, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I, I guess, did I don't know. for yeah, I did for um, uh, several seasons actually. Um, but uh, I will be charitable and just say that um, we grew apart, as opposed to telling you, especially why I stopped it. Um, in, in the interest of being kind to strangers on the internet. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's uh, I found it enjoyable. Um, I also listened to binge mode Harry Potter, um, which I found more delightful and actually more uh, theologically relevant, even though it had no interest in being theological. Um, I, uh, I prefer it. I am a big fan of binge mode. Game of Thrones is, uh, um, oh, I'm one of those it. people yeah. who doesn't participate in Game of Thrones. And like, it's, I don't think of it as a personality trait. Like I've been harassed about, um, no one cares that I don't watch Game of Thrones, but FYI, I'm not hip. It's fun. I, uh, I'm one of the world's few, uh, Harry Potter neutrals. Oh yeah. I don't have. Word. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Good, good for you. I mean, I've, I've, I'm, I've not read the books. I'm not going to read the books, but I watch the movies. They're enjoyable. And my wife has read them all and tells me about the things that I'm not getting. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, you have a Harry Potter whisperer, so you're fine. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and in addition to those things, uh, we are also um, really involved in interfaith activity here at UC Davis with um, some other campus communities. Uh, we do uh, what we call the movable feast around Thanksgiving every year, where we eat a different course of a meal in each of our buildings in like a progressive dinner and introduces all of our students to each other and to each other's spaces like sacred and kitchen. It's uh, just a nice way to introduce everyone to each other and make us feel welcome at each other's events because we've already been in that building earlier in the year, things like that. Um, and that's a really important piece of what we do, too, because some of the other Christian communities here don't participate in interfaith events because they like don't respect uh, people of other traditions. And it's a value of ours as Lutherans and Episcopalians um, to be, at minimum, respectful of each other's traditions, if not appreciative. So, so you all have a physical space, then? We've alluded to it a couple of times. you got a building? We do. Yes, the Belfry. It's a little yellow house. Uh, that's how I affectionately refer to it. What is a Belfry? 
A belfry is, um, I, I'm pretty sure it's a bell tower. <laughs> you, you should really sharpen up on that part. I really, I should. Um, it's a place with baths in it, I've heard. Huh. Bats or baths? Bats, like the flying, flying nocturnal okay, creatures. Yeah. You've got bats some boundaries issues when you have, it's just like a Turkish bath. Just, you have. Yeah, nope. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not one of those. Yeah, so I think um, it's a bell tower. And I think that the... Do you have a bell tower? History. Well, we have a tower and there is a bell... But is it a bell tower? Mm. Arguable. Oh, gosh. We should start a podcast just to answer that question. You know, that sounds great. Worst podcasts have been started. So. Does anybody live in your building? Uh, yes. They're uh, one half of our building. Bats. Is the campus There's a whole colony center. of bats. <laughs> so many bats. Um, hopefully no bats. Um, I don't want to know about it. Um, uh, the front half of our building is our campus ministry center, and the back half is a four-bedroom apartment. And right now there are students who live there. Um, and next year, our Levin program will move back in to that residence. Okay. And Levin is... Uh... Levin is the Lutheran Episcopal Volunteer Network, and it's um, a year-long faith-based service corps program. So young adults who have graduated from college live in intentional Christian community together for a year and serve in nonprofit organizations in our community and learn about the connections between the faith they profess and the issues of justice that they are working on in our community. Cool. And some of those folks work with the Belfry with campus ministry? Yes. One of them uh, serves half of the time that he is um, in service. Half of that is to our campus ministry and the other half is to one of our partner parishes. And so he's been making connections um, with our campus ministry and that parish and with both of those entities on campus um, and making new friends and playing the acoustic guitar and all those good things. Is that required, acoustic guitar? No, but it just so happens that he's a former <laughs> camp staffer, so mm. it comes to the territory. I would mandate that they have to play acoustic guitar, but they are not allowed to play one single camp song. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be my rules. In, you can keep that in mind. That's not uh, very creative or risk-taking, uh, Zach. I think it's super risky to give someone an acoustic guitar and tell them no camp songs. Oh, you know what? That's fair. Encourages them to grow. Um, Encourages them to be creative and take risks. Yeah. 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 Uh, my lack of risk-taking will encourage others. See? It's just strategic. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Sounds uh, good. What, what is, so my understanding as a person who lived in California for 11 months and considers themselves uh, a spiritual uh, expat of California, I've understood UC Davis is a ag school, has a history, it's like kind of an ag school, is that right? Yeah, it started out as the uh, farm and sort of agriculture campus of UC Berkeley before the UC system was really a thing, back when it was just the University of Mm -hmm. California. And then this was the ag school. And eventually it became enough of its own sort of agricultural, animal science, uh, biology, engineering, sort of its own powerhouse that it's now its own thing. So it's really heavy on the on the science side of the equation, but also ton of humanities study goes on here as well. What's the like vibe, the climate as you, as you're engaged, I know you talked about the other, other Christian groups on campus, which I, I, I think is probably pretty similar at just about any public campus in America, but, but in terms of, of, of the climate on campus in general. It's an interesting campus. It's so big that I think there are more, it's more like there are sort of sub campuses, right? Like the students that are involved in student government and participating in that sort of thing is a really small percentage of the student body 
Um, and then students who are involved in athletics may or may not overlap with that, but are sort of a separate um, segment just because their whole world is like controlled by their sports life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then students who um, there are several uh, offices on campus, uh, like the LGBTQIA plus resource center and the AB 540 and undocumented student center um, and this um, in the student community center. There's a lot of sort of identity groups that exist on campus that I think do incredible work for the students who are part of those groups who have been marginalized um, and also who are inviting students who are not part of those marginalized groups to sort of understand what it is to be part of those marginalized groups. And we do some some interacting with those organizations um, in that our students are part of those uh, groups or we just want to be friends with those folks because um, Jesus would be friends uh, with those folks. So. So yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of activism that goes on in the UC Davis campus. It can be heated here and there because there um, are students on every side of uh, of every issue. It seems, um, and that can be exciting because there's a lot of energy and a lot of participation. But it can also be hard because some of the issues are, you know, does this set of students deserve um, to be here? <laughs> and uh, that's an interesting thing to be on the other side of. Um, so we do our best, especially with our interfaith friends, uh, to support each other and um, and show up when something is amiss. Um, there's been some really wild like white supremacist action in the last couple of years on campus, like there has been in the United States in general. Um, and so uh, we've been sort of standing alongside our Jewish siblings in that um, and our Muslim siblings in that as well, because they've faced uh, a lot of that trauma as well. So I'm looking for advice. Yeah from an award-winning campus pastor here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my background, right, I grew up in rural uh, Western North Carolina. I went to Clemson University, which is uh, not that small, but in a tiny rural town in the the southeast. Um, And I did my first call right in Bakersfield. Uh, So there's some cultural consistency there. And so for most of my life, I expected that my job, even especially looking towards being like a campus pastor, would be would put me like pretty far out there on the on the political spectrum, and that I, part of my job would be to expose students to to new ideas and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, do the risk taking creativity stuff, mm-hmm. uh, right? And certainly in Bakersfield, a part of what it meant for us to be in the LCA church in Bakersfield was to be, relatively speaking, uh, crazy out there, right? Um, <laughs> in Bakersfield, yeah. but then I move from Bakersfield to Boulder, and I go from being basically a mm-hmm. communist. <laughs> Right. Uh, to uh, yeah. to much more moderate place. And so for always hard to navigate how bubbly are we, you know, especially mm-hmm. when you're working on the college campus. But for at least most mm-hmm. of the students I encounter, the kinds of things that that I was exposed to in college and, and the sort of formative experiences that really expanded things for me are not uh, mind opening or blowing for students, you know, like mm, maybe not in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Gender theory, like they will give me lectures in like. They do much more pushing than I push them typically, right? Mm. And my job has become much more of how do we... We have the kind of joke intro where I say that I'm the campus pastor at Naropa, which is America's only Buddhist school. Um, But we've had some students from Naropa, and it's been a kind of part of my job to help create a community. And I'm really proud of this, that for a couple years we had some Naropans we can get into the how religious identity works around like uh, white Americans being Buddhist. Uh, But that part of things and then like some like pretty Anglo-Catholic folks on the Episcopal side Mm. and creating the space where those folks can live and be together 
somehow. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious about where if how you find yourself in those dynamics. Does that make sense as a yeah. somewhat yeah. question? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about a lot of that where, you know, the sort of discourse in our wider society has moved so much uh, deeper than when I was a freshman in college and was like, did you know you can use feminine pronouns for the Holy Spirit? And that was like mind boggling. But it was to me at that moment. Right. And so now I was like a senior, uh, but yeah. Yeah. So now I uh, practice that by using those pronouns and talking about God in that way so that my students uh, are experiencing that as normative instead of as kind of revelatory. Um, and I think that's sort of the, the movement that we're doing. Uh, we talk a lot about um, social issues that they're facing. We talk a lot about what they're learning in their classrooms about history and politics and religion and science and all sorts of things and try to make sense of all of that in the in the story of God uh, and how how does scripture that we read have speak to that and how does the scripture that we read not speak to that and and so I think we sort of take it as it comes in a lot of ways I loved imagining as you were talking about your Buddhist students and your Anglo-Catholic students like harmoniously existing Um, I didn't say harmonious well, one of, the things, one of the things I love about the word harmony is that we mm-hmm. think about that as meaning unison, mm-hmm. um, which is wrong, musically, <laughs> right? Um, that harmony means different, but together, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think we try to make space for the students that come through our doors, uh, whoever they are, and we try to make space for the students that we hope will come through our doors, but it helps to start with the ones who are there. Um, and so we do some things uh, in a way that I think other students who are not currently part of our community might find um, meaningful if they knew about us and were here. And I think we do some things that are extremely old school and we like sing hymns that people would be like, this is so boring, why are we doing this? Um, But we happen to have some like students in our community who are like really into um, the ELW and would like to sing from it at all available opportunities. And so that's what we do here. Mm -hmm. So we're sort of just mixing and merging those things. Um, And then the way that I preach to them uh, is to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking of, you know, as I'm preparing to preach every week, I'm thinking about who I know is likely to be in the room. And so what are the what are the cares and the worries and concerns and celebrations that are going on in their lives? And how is, is this week's um, gospel meaningful to them in, in any type of way? And sometimes, you know, when I supply preach out in the community, uh, I write, well, every time I do that, I write a completely different sermon than what I preach to my students because it's a totally different context. Yeah. Um, but there are so many things that I... You should switch uh, and, them one Sunday just to see what happens. Oh, wouldn't that be incredible? Um, uh, I already rouse enough rabble um, in in parishes when I'm there. Uh, your students would murder you would be the scarier thing. Yeah. The, the ways in which I'm gently pushing our wider community and the ways in which my uh, students are like already past the place where I'm trying to push our wider community, it just reminds me that campus ministry and young adult ministry is already creative and all full of risk taking because we're sort of daring to say that there's something important about Uh, the person of Jesus in the lives of these young people um, and that we're just going to keep talking about that even though uh, our church is more largely designed to speak to the needs and interests and lives of um, middle-aged folks and people with children and older um, members of our community and so how do we ensure that we don't skip over like once you're done with confirmation like see you when you have preschoolers 
um, like how do we how do we fill in that that empty space? And um, and I think we do it by um, telling the truth, and we do it by. Um, messing up and trying again uh, I will be doing something with my students and I will think it's like really cool and I have a great idea and whatever it is and they'll all be like <laughs> so you know um, taking risks isn't always cool <laughs> sometimes I'm like <laughs> sometimes I take a risk and it's like well never mind <laughs> duly noted um, so they remind me how old and uncool I am on a very routine basis uh, so even though I am church young as um, that's, that's right. I uh, that's what I, I what gets me fussy with uh, some of the like Brene Brown hangers ons, hanger honors, hmm. if that makes sense. And there's plenty of people, right, who like are on the speaking circuit with a version of Brene stuff. Uh, but I think Brene articulates it well, right? That like the way you're saying is important. Risk taking is not always fun. Uh, no, and, vulnerability and is it, wild. <laughs> yeah, it has to go bad is what it means. Uh, most of the mm -hmm. time it's not going to work out. That's why it's a risk. Right, it uh, wouldn't be a risk if it was yeah. a guarantee, right? Yeah. <laughs> Definitionally. Mm -hmm. And what I love about your yeah. story, uh, I'm glad we give the awards out, right? Uh, and you are certainly deserving of the award. Oh, thank uh, you. Uh, but what I hear you describing, right, are some of the, just the fundamentals of what campus ministry looks like. Uh, what yeah. I like about it is this is not an inaccessible story that, like, uh, sometimes we give those awards, uh, you know, when, um, you know, uh, Bill King, our colleague who was at Virginia Tech after the shooting at Virginia Tech, mm. uh, you know, did great work uh, in terrible circumstances. Um, but what you're describing, right, is something super accessible, not only to folks here in campus ministry, but to the whole church. Uh uh, into yeah. humans, you know, but more importantly, uh, before we move on, uh, tell me about base. You are a baseball enthusiast. Yeah. Oh, I am. Yes. We normally have several, uh, we talk basketball, uh, on the podcast. We have NBA, uh, parts that we, uh, assume our listeners love. Uh, mm. tell me about baseball. I am not a baseball person. You can okay. see what we can do here. I was a victim of the 94 strike. It was a formative time in my life. Oh, uh, but oh so, well, I'm significantly younger than you. Mm -hmm. um, in, in that, uh, the 1998 World Series was a significant oh, formative time yeah. in my life. Um, because my home team, the San Diego Padres. Oh, got swept uh, by the Yankees. They sure did. Uh, <laughs> but before they got swept by the Yankees, which, you know what? It was par for the course. Um, but during that season so i was 10 years old um at that time and i was deeply invested in the padres and i knew all of the players and all of their names and tony gwynn is my all-time sports hero <laughs> yeah uh, which isn't hard that's like a very obvious sports hero he was a good guy um but uh that season i went to so many baseball games with my family um and we were able to go and cheer on our padres who are mediocre at best um, and had just an incredible season. And the um, slogan of that season, and I think sort of in since then, has been keep the faith. Mm. Uh, and that, oh, that makes, uh, yeah. was very, it's good. yeah, it's, it's, very, good. it's the Padres mm -hmm. and the yeah. mascot is this like fat fryer, which is weird and in retrospect, not body positive. Um, <laughs> And well, fat is fine, but uh -huh. it's not supposed to be a celebration of his fatness. It's supposed yeah. to be derogatory. And so mm -hmm. that's the problem that I have I got you. Um, I now got you. that I'm talking about it out loud on a public forum. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so yeah. I got to go to some of the playoff games that were in San Diego, and I had just the time of my life being at those. And that really, uh, even though we lost in four games in the World Series, which was devastating, uh, I remember being on a plane with my dad and a guy in like across the aisle from us had brought a broom 
with him from New York, and I was like so offended that someone would be hoping that we would get swept, and that was like really. I will always remember that guy. Um, shout out to that guy. Wherever yeah, he, he couldn't buy a broom there. <laughs> no kidding. And That's celebrating it. his uh, Yankee fandom, I guess. And they're doing really well this season, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, so the Padres have uh, never been that good again yeah. since then. Uh, but that was an important part of my childhood, an important part of my understanding of why to be a baseball fan is up and down and wins and losses and uh, exhilarating and devastating. And I just really love the emotion of baseball. And the best baseball takes place in the summer. Uh, and I am, I prefer to be in the summer <laughs> as a person in general. Mm -hmm. um, it's my birthday in a couple of days. Oh. Uh, that's probably part of why. Mm -hmm. um, so that the just lifestyle of baseball, which is um, a Sunday afternoon at the ballpark. It's, it's just do ideal. You, do you get a lot of games in these days? Uh, well, I don't live in a major city anymore, mm -hmm. so we actually have a minor league team here, okay. the Sacramento River Cats, um, which I'm pretty sure is a made-up animal, uh, or just a really vague category, cats by the river, I don't know. But as long, I mean, it's not like their mascot's a chicken, though, right? No, no, it's um, Dinger. <laughs> hey, that's the Rockies mascot. <laughs> oh, just then maybe it's not. I'm very prepared for this conversation. Didn't know we were talking about the Sacramento River Cats Dinger, today. here's uh, my biggest issue with Dinger, okay? He's relatively body positive. Uh, or they, I don't know what their pronouns are. Um, oh, true. Uh, but it is a tricer triceratops, which is the greatest of all dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. um, my issue is that the Colorado State dinosaur is a stegosaurus. And I think that is the greatest indictment of the stegosaurus, is that the Rockies chose another dinosaur to be the mascot because the stegosaurus is so lame. That's weird, because Stegosaurus is cool. It has, like, the spikes on the back, right? Uh, strong disagree. Uh, mm, okay. This podcast well. has a firm stance. I've, uh, I've been working with our advocacy guy, uh, Peter Severson, uh, because I would like sure. to add an item to the legislative agenda for the upcoming session mm -hmm. uh, to change the Colorado State dinosaur. Oh. Peter has shown lukewarm interest. Mm, okay. P.S. I just looked it up, and it is, in fact, Dinger. So Double dingers. apparently we are uncreative. Um, and <laughs> Who stole knows what Who knows? <laughs> yeah, true. Who stole uh, Yeah, but we... Um, we go to a handful of Rivercats games. We actually take our uh, 11 volunteers to one as just like a fun um, kind of end of the program year activity. And I used to live in the Bay Area during seminary. And so I went to so many A's games and I love the Oakland A's because the just ambiance of their fans mm -hmm. is um, ideal. No one seems to care or even know if they're winning or losing or whatever is going on. It's just a fun time was had by all. I, 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 the A's, as far as baseball fandom goes, well, I, so I lived in Chicago when I was in seminary, uh, and so we're 20 blocks okay. from the, from, from where the White Sox play. Uh, mm -hmm. so that is just such a different, I find it really hard because I don't live in Denver. Uh, I'm far enough away where like the Rockies aren't a part of my everyday life versus right. walking around the neighborhood. You could hear the fireworks and know that either the yeah. game started because it's 7 11 and game times are brought to you by 7-Eleven, or we scored, or the game is over. And so it's really good just to be able to hop on a train. We went to a trillion games. And, uh, and uh, yeah, baseball. Yeah, well, when we were in Boston for mm -hmm. that conference, uh, I attended part of a Red Sox game. Oh, that's right. Uh, you went to the end of the... Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I went to the end of the game after our closing banquet uh, because being at Fenway Park is just a baseball fan bucket list item, regardless of your feelings about the Red Sox themselves. Yeah. Um, so that was delightful. Being there for the Sweet Caroline singing, mm. which is just a traditional thing that mm-hmm. happens there. The number of like nauseating cell phone videos being yeah. taken in my general vicinity <laughs> was unbelievable. Uh, but it was just truly delightful to be there with all of those Boston accents. Oh, well, loud. in my, my White Sox thing, what I, part of what I enjoy about the White Sox, and I still do, but how the hell am I going to watch a White Sox game anymore? MLB TV. Yeah, that's a financial investment that I'm not ready to make uh, because uh, my current life situation doesn't give me five to six hours a day to watch baseball. But uh, was that we weren't the Cubs was an mm. important part of it, right? Uh, yeah. Where uh, people cared about baseball. It wasn't we weren't there for the party, but there was that a, a similar what I hear in your your A's experience, a similar sort of untrad not your normal professional athletics vibe. Right. Yep. The and I think not, not full. being one of the like historic teams, mm-hmm. although the White Sox are a pretty old club, actually. Those teams like people the forget Red Sox and the Yankees and stuff. That when the Red Sox hadn't won in forever, they hadn't won since 1918. But when the White Sox hadn't won in forever. It was 1917. So they lost when it came to losing. <laughs> oh, they didn't even tragic. have, they had one since 1917 and nobody cared because the Cubs had one since 1904. Oh, yeah, well, here we are. Losers at losing, and I was like, that's my team. A tragic, a tragic team go. is mine. Which Ever is the underdog. a part of my A's affinity. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's uh, the end of the episode called uh, Let's Talk Baseball. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Now, uh, Nick, if you could uh, do us the honors, uh, it's time for the text. That's very cute. We'll dive straight into the. It's a. It's like a bell. It's a bell, but not a meditative, like a ding ding, like a. Like Like we are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a dinger. There There we go. Uh, We find ourselves here uh, in the Gospel of Luke. The Lord appointed seventy others. Uh, this is one of the strategies I use in my campus ministry. I find 70 people who will fully commit uh, to the ministry, and I send them out in pairs to every town and place where Jesus intended to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, no problems. Greet no one on the road. And whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. I might recommend saying it to the the residents inside of the house, but you should first start, I think, by acknowledging peace to this structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if anyone there shares in the peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. But do not move about from house to house. When you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there before you, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the squares of the city and say, even the dust of the town, of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. 
whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one. Oh, Jesus. Literally. Jesus. Literally. Come on. Uh, in the 70, return with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submitted to us. And oh, here's the interesting part at the end. Jesus said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions uh, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Woo! It's spicy. Yeah. Spicy. What are you thoughts, feelings, emotions? This text is wild uh, because it's a lot of instructions that seem like uh, not helpful. <laughs> um, like, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves, but like, don't take anything with you that might help you in that scenario. Just like, mm-hmm. go for it. Um, seems treacherous. Um, no and sandals then, is a really a. I'm gonna be yeah, walking like, here, right? Like that is. Yeah, sure. Like go. I mean, at least it doesn't say no clothes. Like, I get, thanks. No shoes. And greet no one on the road. Friendly. <laughs> yes. like, I guess. Next and time someone perhaps, does not say hi to you on the road, just assume they're one of the 70. <laughs> you know, that's what I usually do. <laughs> um, yeah, I just... And perhaps contextually, like, it's dangerous to greet someone on the road. Um, or maybe that's like a keep your eyes on the prize. Like, don't dawdle. Get where you need to get. Um, but hard to say. What's interesting, I think, with this text is that it is on the back side. What just preceded it was uh, the the disciples. Uh, they weren't welcomed in this uh, Samaritan town, and the disciples right. helpfully were immediately like, "Hey, do you want us to uh, Game of Thrones reference uh, Dracarys this place? Uh, do you want us to call for fire to come out of the sky and destroy the Samaritan town?" And Jesus is like, "No." <laughs> No, I don't. I don't want that. What What have I said that makes you think that's okay? Uh, and then here we actually cut a bit. And the part we cut is where Jesus says that it would be more tolerable in Sodom than for these towns who refuse you. Uh, so it, on one hand, it seems like we've had a big change of heart from Jesus, who is anti-destroying towns and is now destroying towns. There is a subtle difference, though. And mm-hmm. I think is important to understanding the text. And that is that we were talking about Samaritan towns uh, last week. Uh, and Jesus does not want Samaritan towns destroyed. But these are not Samaritan towns. He sends them out into Judah. These are, uh, these are insider towns. Uh, and so what I think put those things in conversation, you have um, a part of what this text does is it talks about the, the extra responsibility uh, and the onus on those who are on the insides and the favor towards those uh, and the grace extended to those on the outside of things. Do you, Gerard, Casey? Um, no. So I, Gerard, I'm, I'm, I'm a lightweight Gerardian, Rene Gerard, okay. uh, who was at Stanford, uh, and he has the whole scapegoating thing. Does that ring any bells? It does, but please tell me more about it. Yeah, so this is a text, one of the kind of canonical Girardian texts. Uh, okay. Basically, Girard's idea is that uh, the way we found to live together is through scapegoating, right? Uh, mm-hmm. By exiling mm-hmm. the outsider, we know that we're insiders uh, and that that's not the way that God mm-hmm. wants us to live together, uh, but we have insisted upon it. And in response to our insistence of, of requiring a scapegoat, Jesus comes and becomes the ultimate scapegoat uh, so that we're made whole against our will. Um, and so it's actually the title of George's first book is I Watch Satan Fall Like Lightning, which... Uh, 
what he's trying to get at here, um, I think, the Girardian perspective on this, is that is that these two texts in conversation in particular, right, the, the one from last week and this week, are about... Um, they're about the destruction of, of uh, uh, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Retributive justice. Retri- I can never say that word. Retributive. Retributive justice. Retributive, like a river cat, where a river cat lives in a yep. retri- retributary. A retributary, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that the insiders are being made outsiders, and the outsiders are being made insiders, and that the real threat, because I think that's the thing you got to wrestle with here, like, uh, this doesn't feel very super graceful. Um, right. As a someone who, re- who routinely uh, does not welcome people, I do the whole thing. We get tons of solicitors where I live, uh, and I don't want to put an ugly, like, no solicitation sign up on my house, but also I'm never going to buy something from someone who randomly shows up at my door uh, because this is 2019. Uh, so when they ring the doorbell, I, like, hit the floor, and we, like, crawl around and try to figure out who it is, whether we know them or not. Uh, so is there good news in this story for, for me, you know, is one of the things I'm interested in. Mm. One of the things that I love about um, what Jesus is asking of them in this is to receive hospitality, right? So they have to go with nothing to a house and say peace to this house and hope that someone there shares that peace and hope that someone invites them in um, and offers them food and drink and, you know, Uh, hospitality. And I think it's difficult for us as purveyors of hospitality um, in the church, ostensibly, um, to also be willing to be vulnerable enough to receive hospitality from someone else. Uh, And so to go out into the world and not presume to be in charge of everything um, and to to come bringing this message of uh, of good news, uh, but also being willing to learn something in the process, uh, being willing to receive uh, some of that truth from someone else. Yeah, I mean that's perfectly tied into the uh, Old Testament text for this, which is Naaman, uh, mm-hmm. which is really Naaman the foreigner goes to get help from the the other foreigner, uh, and it is at that nexus, at the interchange of the insider and the outsider, that new life and healing comes. Um, and yeah. so that might be the way I would take it. The other thing I want to add to it, I think I found a, a lovely thing uh, that's pretty tangential to this, but I think a part, a core part of what we do, uh, in that last line, nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoicing in, in, in your name written in heaven is, I think, a really critical insight into, into the vocational theology that's a big part of campus ministry, that the work we've been doing is trying to get away from some of the what is God calling you to do, but who are you, who has God made you to be, and how do you be that person in the world? And so I found this, uh, when I was sniffing around the, the, the Girardian universe and found this James Allison uh, line on this text uh, where he says, what is it? What indeed does it say that I was called? Not about me, but, but about the one calling. What does it say of their spaciousness and power and gentleness, the security that they offer, that it becomes possible not to have to construct a story which makes clear sense, not because of a lack of meaning, but because of an excess? Which I think is what you said earlier, right, about, about creating the space for students to come, and it's not about the product. Uh, it's not about the deed, right, the actions. Uh, it's not about the spirits that submit to you, but it is that your name is written in heaven here perhaps is a, is a lovely way uh, that gets said. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the 
one of the things that I see the students that are part of our community and just the sort of wider um, UC Davis community grappling with is being known. You know, I think I think there's such there's such a lack of just of intimacy um, for students. I think there there are so many of them that there's this anonymity that they're facing, and they're in a classroom with a ton of other students, and their professors couldn't possibly have a meaningful relationship with each of their students, no matter how hard they might try to. Um, and when they're here, we literally know each other's names. It's a, it's an important thing. It's a value that we have here that we introduce each other uh, every week. Even if everyone has been here before, we do it again uh, because knowing each other's names is um, is crucial to this whole enterprise, being known to each other and, and demonstrating that our being known to one another is part of how... Um, part of how God knows us. I like it. I think we found, I think we found some good news. You can work them around here. God knows you, knows us. Yeah. Uh, your yeah. name is written in the stars. Lots of fun stuff. And I think probably that promise of, of life that comes at the, the intersection of the insider and the outsider. Uh, but on to the real important work here, Casey. Uh, what are you listening to this week? Well, what's funny is that the first thing that I'm going to suggest, because I am a creative risk taker, um, isn't a song. <laughs> it's wow! On I should have known. I should have known when we when we bring a risk taker right. on here. You're going to destroy the format. It's available on Spotify. Okay, that'll, that'll so works. Yeah. Can, I checked. It can literally go um, on the playlist. So, okay. Yeah, it can literally go on the playlist. So it's a poem. It's a spoken word piece by Anis Mojgani, and it's called "Shake the Dust." Mm. And as soon as I read this text, every time it comes around, uh, I think of this poem. Uh, because of the instruction um, for, in this version, it says, um, wipe off the dust that clings to our feet in protest. Uh, but I think that it is sort of coming from the same same story. Um, and that poem is really about being known and being yourself um, and uh, whoever you are. And the, the list of people that he lists in the poem about who this poem is for uh, involves a really long list of folks that you wouldn't expect uh, to have perhaps their name written in heaven. Um, and they are. So I just found that too, too good to pass up. Uh, so it's not a song, but um, it, like it to me speaks directly to um, this story. Cool. Anything else you listen to this week? Uh, sure. Um, I also thought of um, a Leanne Lahava song called "Is Your Love Big Enough?" Um, and what uh, the song is very simple. It has nothing to do, in large part, with being sent out um, as these seventy are. But the chorus is just "Is your love big enough for what's to come?" Over and over again, um, and thinking about how love your neighbor is a really simple uh, phrase, but not remotely an easy task. Um, I think the instructions that the 70 are being provided by Jesus here are uh, simple sentences. They are declarative and, you know, unremarkable, uh, but they are also very complicated and difficult and, um, and risky. And so uh, I think, is your love big enough is a question to ask um, of this text. You know, uh, next week in the lectionary, Jesus is going to say, love your neighbor. <laughs> well, you can just put that song on repeat yeah. for next week. It's like this thing then. just like uh, connects together. It's crazy. Oh, weird. Crazy. Anything else you want to put on the playlist? 
Um, well, so the, all the, it's funny that all the songs that I thought of as I was reading through this ended up not having to do with what we ended up talking about. Uh, I imagine that happens to you every once in a while. Um, but one of the things that I think is um, uh, reassuring or like a relief about this story is that um, there are going to be places that we will go where we are not welcome and we will just shake the dust off of our sandals and go elsewhere. Um, and that the whole of the, of the, of the work of the gospel is not individually ours to do, but there is some part, right. That is individually ours to do. Um, and we'll do that, but we won't do what's not ours. Uh, and I think that that is a relief because it can sometimes seem like there's too much and everything's urgent and we just can't do it all. Um, and so sort of like chuckling, um, there's a song by a band called Phoenix that's called run, run, run. <laughs> and, um, the chorus is, I think I'd better run, run, run. And I was thinking about how, um, like I would, would better run and leave those things for someone else. Yeah. And that, I like it. this is not my place to be. And I, like it. I go. Um, and then also, uh, shake it off. Taylor Swift. Couldn't mm, get out of here. Okay. That. All right. All right. Not that I'm a Swifty per se, but I do love jokes. Um, and we're shaking the dust and we're shaking it off. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. I like it. I like it. I um, so I'm gonna go uh, first of all. I mean, I think this story is is. I think for me, this story is about moving to freedom, uh, being unshackled from uh, from our insider outsiderness. Uh, and so, I'm gonna do that. I've got it to Beyonce's uh, freedom, uh, freedom, oh, freedom. Well, I sure. can't move. Right. Um, well, I can't believe you said a Beyonce song and I didn't. Oh, that's embarrassing. Well, it's just going to get worse because then for my, uh, I mean, there's so many songs that are just on the nose for this, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I really like, uh, Florence and the Machines shake it off. Uh, mm. I put it on the playlist a million times. Uh, but I think we got to go and I'm sure we've done this in the past. Uh, got to go with, we got to do Jay-Z and Lincoln parks, uh, dirt off your shoulder. Oh, can't not get do that, that dirt off your sandal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same difference. Uh, yeah, but then the kind of uh, fun one—it's a Naaman one. Uh, there's a, a performer musician. I don't know what you call him. Uh, called Soccer Mommy, uh, sure. who was recently in town. <laughs> yeah, it's not a. It's a person. I don't know. A performer, whatever. Uh, and they've got a nice little song called Skin. Uh, and so. Um, if I had to really dig into the name and text, I would probably get into the, I like the, the visceralness of stuff uh, and the visceralness of his uh, skin. The other thing I just want to add before we go in, if, if I wonder, I think it depends on who you are and it's super contextual, right? Which is how preaching works. But, but I, there are lots of folks who need to hear the empowerment of, that you lifted up of, of shaking, of wiping the dust off your feet. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there are some of us who need to hear uh, that our dust might be wiped off of other people's feet uh, mm. and that we don't hear that side of it's it's two sides of the same coin I think you know yes. and we at least I've not heard much of that other side before mm. oh man that's that's so convicting as often we um, we decide that the text is speaking to us directly as opposed to uh, you know, indirectly, and that how often is someone trying to come to me and speak peace to my house, <laughs> and I am rejecting them, and they have to wipe my dust off of their mm -hmm. feet and move This on is their not way. my scheduled peace time, uh, so you're gonna need to, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, no, that'll preach. That's right. 
Well, Casey, we've enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Uh, congratulations again. Um, and, and best of luck. Uh, I mean, the NL West is not that far. I mean, the Dodgers are out there, but everything else is a uh, wild card is not impossible. You got Manny Machado. Yeah, well. Not yeah, a cold dude, but he's pretty good at baseball. There we go. That's <laughs> my thoughts. Exactly. Oh, man. Well, as they say, everybody's going to win 50 games. Everyone's going to lose 50 games. What you do with the other 62. We're good. Baseball proverbs. Uh, yeah. So next time we, we'll have an episode of... Uh, unless you're the Baltimore Orioles, in which case it is not guaranteed <laughs> that you are going to win 50 games. Oh, baseball. This is the first time baseball smack talk has been talked on the podcast. Oh, well, you need to have me as part of your life more often yeah. if you want to hear unfounded baseball smack talk. <laughs> Matt is a Cubs fan, so maybe occasionally I've, I've given him crap about pulling for the yuppie team up north. Uh, mm. But... Well, if you ever want to have a little baseball theological corner, like him in. I, for sure, for sure. Well, all right, uh, Casey, it has been real. Uh, in fact, some have said it's been real vinyl.